0: Welcome to Life Center Church. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information about this podcast and our church, visit Lifecenternyc.com. Father, we we thank you for your presence. Yeah, great is thy faithfulness. Morning by morning, new mercies we see from the rising of the sun to the going down of the same, your name shall be praised in this place, in this service today. May you find a people who praise you, Would you be with us, Would you illuminate the word. So we're going through, we'll illuminate the word on our hearts that we may live out that which is revealed to us. We love you, Lord. Amen. Amen. All right. Song of Psalm 1. We're going to start in verse 7. So Just hold your finger there for a moment. Uh, One of the things for me, even preparing for this message, we just, I think it was like two or three weeks ago, we have our Tuesday, Wednesday prayer sets. And... um, we must uh, bless her, Lord. <laughs> bless Mabel. We love. That's a miracle, baby, right there. That's the testimony. Sometimes, sometimes you just hear the crying out of the testimony, reminding us of the goodness of the Lord. And, and so, uh, oh yeah, we'll make it a word. So listen, we were a couple weeks ago. We were in prayer, and, and um, actually, Corley, who just received the offering, she was sharing in early morning prayer, and I wasn't there, but Tammy shared it during midweek prayer. And it just kind of sparked something in me. You know, I've uh, been walking with the Lord for most of my life. Um, grew up in church, and the last fifteen years, I know many. You know, when you're coming into maybe prayer or in worship or your secret time with the Lord, you might open to the Psalms, and that's an amazing place to open to. For me, the place where I open to is Revelation one. Um, and the reason for that is, you know, there's actually a bunch of reasons for that. I'm not going to get into it, but for me. I, I like to read the names of the Lord and how, as, as he begins to reveal himself And even specifically in Revelation 1 There's like a whole list of them You know, He, the faithful witness The one who was, who is, who is to come The almighty, the firstborn from the dead The ruler of the kings of the earth and um, So this has just been a place And so, uh, and then Revelation 1 leads to Revelation 2 and 3 Which is the letters that he's writing to the seven churches How many have read the, some of the seven letters, right? You know what I'm talking to, good so one of the things that ha- has caught my attention and what Corley was bringing up in prayer and Tammy pointed out, in the beginning of the letter that he writes to these churches, before he gives them like the, the praise or the rebuke or a little bit of both, he opens up with a revelation of who he is and he actually takes one of the names that was just revealed from Revelation 1. We're going to read that in a moment. But for me... The revelation that Corley was bringing up was the God in the midst of the lampstands. The God in the midst of us. You see it in Revelation 1 at the end. Revelation 2, like I said, we'll read it. But for the past three or four weeks, it's been this trigger in me, this reminder. And then from there we went to, um, you know, we, I was at a conference with pastors and leaders in Florida, Jesus Image Conference, and just was reminded there was a, a specific message from Michael Koulianos, which I had heard him preach this message in 2017. And I remember in 2017 getting marked, and he gave another version of it just a week and a half ago. In the past three or four weeks, I've just been on this journey of reevaluating my life, which is something we're called to do regularly, right? To look to see what we're doing and saying, God, am I walking in obedience to you? If there's any wicked way in me, I want to lay it down. You know, how we can continue to keep ourselves walking on the narrow path, which is Christ and the way, which is Christ. Um, But it just kind of sparked me on this journey. Like, God, are you in the midst of everything that I'm doing? And what does that mean? And what does that look like? So today, what I'm bringing to you is is a message I've called the title, um, A People of His Presence. And having grown up in church, I remember being in sixth grade. And the very first time, you know, I've grown up in worship. been in meetings like this my whole life. Uh, In fact, the church that we grew up in, back in 96, was in revival. So I, I grew up in an outpouring of the Holy Spirit, but I, I didn't really know what was going on because I'm in mean, kid's church, I'm there. You know, just there, I'm in the room. Uh, but I remember, oh, you know, maybe it's 1999, 2000 some years later, I'm in sixth grade. And I'm at a conference, maybe two, 3000 people in the room, and we're way in the back corner. And I remember a moment in worship where I begin to feel the presence of the Lord But it was in that moment that I knew, oh God, what I'm feeling, this is you. And it was the first time in my life, not that I had the feeling, because I had had that feeling before, it was the first time in my life that it was revealed to me, that which I'm feeling in my heart, my mind, my body, this is God. And in that moment I could look back and say, wow, I've I've been feeling you for a long time. (laughs) And what began to happen is I began to come into a revelation one, that what I'm feeling, that he's in the room with me. Yeah. It's not just an emotional response. You know, our emotions are really good indicators, but they're not great masters. And so, but our emotions, they do help point us to him. You know, we were created, he created us with emotions, and it it's can actually be a tool to lead us to him. And so I want to read Song of Solomon 1, and we're going to keep on this topic, people of his presence. Verse 7, it says this, tell me. Oh, you whom I love, where you feed your flock, where you make it rest at noon. For why should I be as one who avails herself by the flocks of your companions? If you do not know, now the beloved's responding back to her. If you do not know, O fairest among women, know what? Where, you, where I feed my flock. Follow in the footsteps of the flock. If you don't know, follow in the footsteps of the flock. And I love this because we are called to be a people of his presence. But in the beginning, we may not know where it is that he feeds his flock. We may not know how to find our way to the presence of the Lord. You could be like sixth grade rich. and, And again, I was young, but there's no. you could be in that journey right now. I don't know. We're all in different places. But what the Shulamite knew and what I knew is I wanted to get to the place where he was. I wanted to encounter him in the way that all these ones around me, have been encountering him, or even what I've read about, the the availability and the opportunity to encounter the Lord. And what I love in this verse, it's like even in the moment where we don't know where he is, we just need to follow those who know the way to him. Yeah. I mean, doesn't that sound like simple discipleship? You see that in the New Testament. Apostle Paul says, follow Christ, but you don't know how to follow him? No problem Follow me as I follow Christ. And there's, there is this reality, and I remember sixth grade, Oh Lord, this is you, but I don't know how to get back here. I I I happened into this place, but I don't quite know how I got here. And so, as a sixth grader, what I began to do, and Corley made mention to it, I, I got around people, who I saw they know the place to God's heart, and so I did. I joined a banner team, as a as a middle schooler, as a high schooler, I joined a, a dance and a banner team with these forty and fifty and six year old women. And I'm figuring out how do I wave a banner in a manly way. Uh, you know, just, you know, you're a teen in security. is all these different things going on. But here's what I knew. They know where he feeds his flock. They know the place to his presence. And I wouldn't just do that. I, during worship, because I know I get easily distracted, I would come up in, into worship and I'm like, okay, I'm going to go stand next to the person that, that they're just lost in him. I'm just going to be next to them. I'm not even going to ask them what's going on. I'm just going to stand next to them. I'm just going to be in proximity of where he is because these people know where he is. I'm going to get around them. Maybe it was I wanted to find him in the word of God. And you know, I've read the word, but I, I don't quite know what I'm reading. But even on top of that, I, I want to feel his presence as I'm reading his word. I want to read the word with God. Amen. And so I'd get around people who knew how to find him in the text. Remember this guy, uh, you know, I got to expose exposed some years ago. He's still around. He's not dead. Corey Russell, and he has this phrase. He says, "You know, you may know the word, but does the word know you?" And as a teenager, I'm like, "Whoa, well, what does that even mean?" You know. But I begin to to get around things like that. I mean, I was so hungry, and I can't do any of this today. And you'll see my point. You know. Now I need to sleep with quiet and pitch black but as a teenager i would sleep with the light on because i was afraid of the dark and alan hood said once you know you're 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 an adult but you're afraid of things but you keep putting yourself in positions to stay in fear if you're afraid of the dark stop torturing yourself just sleep with the light on you know and so which by the way if there's things that that you're dealing with don't keep putting yourself in arenas that you're being tortured over and over again do something different so you can actually walk in courage and freedom so i would sleep in with the light on, so that's not the point. But the other point was, I would sleep with this prayer CD, and I would put it on repeat all night long. Corey Russell's prayer CD, all literally all night long. He's just praying, praying in tongues, praying the Spirit, because I just was like, God. I- I just, I want to know where you are. I don't know how to get there on my own yet. And so I would use these tools, these resources, these people, I would surround myself strategically because i are like, I'm going to learn how to get there. I'm going to learn how to touch your heart. I was touched. I know this is you. And I am not satisfied with anything less than your presence. Wow. And as a young man, I began to position myself in ways that were, were uh, counter to what maybe other people were doing my age but I knew I, I just needed him. And if I could have him, if I could touch the hem of his garment, if I could touch his heart, he can touch my heart, that when I experienced as a sixth grader in the back of, of the room, I could live that out as a lifestyle and I can live every day with him. And I have so much more language for it today. It was so much simpler and so much more raw and I didn't I didn't know what I was doing. But I look at this verse and I said, oh, this... This was the prayer of my heart. I didn't have the. I didn't pray it this way, but this was the pursuit. Lord, show me. And He was like, okay. And it was by His grace. I no one told me to even do that. I mean, I'm telling you to do it today. I didn't have this. No one told me to do that. But but by the grace of the Lord, He led me go and get around once. Get around people. And I, I've said this phrase for years, and I'll say it again to you today. You know, if you've found yourself. Maybe in a season where your heart is not burning. It's not on fire like it used to be. To light a match, there's two ways to light it. One, you could take the match and you can cause friction. You can strike it and that flame will combust. It will light up. And the mercy of the Lord is that if your heart is not burning, He will cause friction in your life. So that that fire will be ignited again. But there is an easier way to light the match. If you take the match and you bring it next to an open flame, it lights up every time. Don't wait for friction to cause your heart to come alive. Step into the place of the fire of God. Step into the place. Get around the people who know where he feeds the flock. Get around the ones who know where the fire is, who know where to buy gold. Remember the phrase our parents used to tell us? They might still be telling you, you are who your friends are. Like, why do you hang out with this? You are. And they were kind of right. You know, it's the beholding becoming. If there's something in front of you enough, you actually become that which you're con- consistently gazing and beholding. So if I want to get to certain places in the Lord depths of the Lord or breakthroughs or revelations whatever it is and I don't know how to do it I'm going to get around people who have the testimony who have the history who are walking it out and I'm going to position myself differently in this season of my life because there is something I need and today I want to just talk about our, our need of him and his presence um, I, I forget when it was it was is it okay I'm doing more just sharing my heart Maybe it was six months ago, maybe even a year ago I was speaking and and I said a phrase and I was like, I need to talk on this one day. And, And one of the things was, you know, we we get so easily distracted in worship or when we're in our word or we're in our secret place time. Yet when you put Netflix on, you put a movie on, it's like we have no nothing comes to our mind you ever notice that you step into church you step into worship where you're like okay let me try to read the word today and every other thing starts to come to your mind but yet you step into a movie or you step into a show or, or maybe just out with friends it's like you could go hours and then you didn't realize someone called you six times you, you get what I'm saying but when we step into how many of that's happened to I mean all the time right and so what I found and I realized in that moment oh, this is kind of the, what it looks like for the our battle is not against flesh and blood, but principalities is the spirit. The, the devil would love to distract you from anything around the word and the presence and the worship of the Lord. He has no problem with Christians who spend hours watching Netflix. In fact, he's not going to distract you in that moment. No, I'm serious. But it's, we need to see where the devil overplays his hand. In the moment where you're feeling the most wrestle, maybe it's, it's an area of your life where God wants you to pursue. And part of it, at least for my story, was in worship, I was just so easily distracted. My mind would just become so easily distracted. And now the world has ways in which to help with that. And I think those are good. You know, there's ways of how to help you go to sleep or engage in something you're distracted. Just keep a notepad and a pen and just when something comes in, just write it down so you just get it out of your head. And I appreciate that. But I actually think there's a a spiritual way, there's a biblical way to begin to resist the distractions and enter into the depths of Christ. And one of the ways I've learned to do it is when I begin to get distracted, whether I'm in the word, whether I'm listening to a sermon, whether I'm in worship and I begin, a distraction comes, a thought comes to mind that I don't really no need to think about that right now. I will, in that moment, by faith, turn my heart back to the Lord. And I know this sounds very simple, but when you put this into practice, uh, the yes of your heart is way more powerful than the no. And so instead of just simply resisting and saying no to the distractions, I begin to learn to say yes to him in that moment. And as I'm in worship and the presence there, and I'm watching people around me encounter, and I'm just, I cannot get the, the four to-do items off my list that I, I know I'm going to, I don't want to forget this and do it later. And instead of just continuing to lean into that and write the notes, I mean, it doesn't seem to make that go away. What I begin to learn to do in that moment, I'll say, okay, Lord, my mind is so easily wandering. Right now, I turn my heart back to you. I turn my mind back to you. And I say by faith, right? Because I'm choosing to believe that when I do that, that my heart will turn towards him. And in the beginning, what will happen? I'll turn and I'll engage and all of a sudden the thought will come up and then I have to over and over again, no, I turn my heart back to the Lord. I turn my, I set my heart back into the Lord as I'm before the Lord. I set my heart back on you by faith. I'm choosing to believe that I can set my heart on you. And we actually know, uh, scientifically, right? How many of you have tried to break a bad habit? Yeah, maybe you know, sugar, right? Not eating sugar. I've been in the midst of that, and you can't break it overnight, right? It takes repetition over and over in practice to to break a habit and to start a new one. In fact, I think science says it takes X amount of times even for neurologically your brain to create new neural pathways to just think differently, do something differently. And I'm telling you, the more you put into practice the turning of your heart by faith to the Lord and moments of distraction and moments where we're being invited into the presence of the Lord and we're saying, God, by faith, I'm turning to you. It will actually become more fluid, more easy than even you taking in a breath what I begin to realize is like, God, you're in the inhale and you're in the exhale. You, you, it's your presence on my inhale that allows me to exhale your praise and exhale your worship. This, this grace of the Lord is more real and more substantive than we would even imagine or realize. He's empowering us, he's activating us, and he's leading us to him. And I'm saying, if you have difficulty, I, I just want to teach you A prayer of simplicity in experiencing Christ deep within. And when you begin to do this, when you begin to put this to practice, or maybe you've done this and you can continue to head in this direction, you will find that there will be less difficulty of interruption than you now live by, than even simply taking a breath. And what I mean by that is this. This will become a part of your dialogue with God and your life monologue will turn into a dialogue and it won't just be this throwing up of God I need this God do this for me God help me with this but you will begin to learn hey the God who you serve he wants to dialogue with you he wants to abide with you even more than you want to abide with him and so there's two ways that this will happen one way is how I mentioned simply by you putting it into practice over and over again. So the simple re- repetition, the exercising of self-control and self-discipline will allow you to to pursue the depths of the presence of the Lord and to turn your heart by faith towards Him. But the second one and probably the most powerful one and the reason why this I do believe this can become and will become easy for you is because you serve a gracious Lord. Yeah. And that the grace of the Lord, for me, one of the definitions I love of the grace of God is it's His divine empowerment that empowers you to do what you need to do when you need to do it. And it is His grace that will empower you to pursue Him. Why? Because it's His desire to pursue you even more than it's your desire to pursue Him. It's His desire to be with you even more than it's your desire to be with Him. And you see this in John 14, 15, 16, 17. It's the Father, I desire that these whom you've given me, that they would be with me where I am. The very root of the nature to abide with Christ is not just something that he put in us that's unique to us, it's he put it in us because it's in him. You only first you only love God because He first loved you. You only want to abide in His presence because He wants to abide in your presence. He wants to be with you. He wants it to be like the beginning of creation. What was Adam doing? He was walking in the cool of the day with God. It wasn't just Adam and the administration and the authority. We're going to create, we're going to name the animals, we're going to take dominion over the earth. Though Adam was called to do this stuff. But he did this stuff from the place of walking in the cool of the day with the Lord. And we're going back into this reality of the Lord wants us to go into the things we did at first. So turn with me to Revelation 2. Okay, this is what I made mention of in the beginning. You go through Revelation 1, you'll see all these names of the Lord. and It's so beautiful. In fact, the book of Revelation is called that because it's the revelation of Jesus. Not the revelation of the end times. Though it speaks much of the end. But don't be so afraid of this book because it talks about something that's so mysterious. Uh, You should enter into this book because it reveals someone who is mysterious. And you want to enter into the depths of the mysteries of Christ. And part of what one of the jobs of this book is to reveal Jesus to you. The whole book, the whole Bible reveals him, but this literally is part of the name, okay? So chapter two, verse one. I'm gonna read this, and then we'll talk through it. To the angel of the church of Ephesus, write, these things say he who holds the seven stars in his right hand and who walks in the midst of the seven golden lampstands. I know your works, your labor, your patience, and that you cannot bear those who are evil. And you have tested those who say they are apostles and are not, and have found them liars. And you have persevered and have patience and have labored for my, ma- my name's sake and have not become weary. Now, they're doing pretty good. From what, I mean, if someone came up to me and described those attributes to me and, and the church that I'm, I'm in and a part of, I'm like, thank you. You know, like, this sounds good, but there's a nevertheless. So, <laughs> nevertheless, I have this against you, that you have left your first love. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen and repent and do the first works, or else I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. Now, you know, for me, this also brings to remembrance the verse where it says, Jesus, we, we did this in your name. We cast out demons in your name. And then he turns around and says, well, depart from me, for I have not... I have not known you. This is a key to not enter into that place, to not live a life in that place. And one of the things that sticks out to me is is as he's writing these letters, the beginning of these letters, he's revealing a part of who he is. And he's basically saying this, I want you to return to the place of your first love. But to do that, you're going to need the revelation of myself that I just gave to you. And what was that revelation? He's the one who holds the seven stars in his right hand and who walks in the midst of the seven golden lampstands. Chapter one, we know the lampstands is the church. And he's saying to to them, you're doing all the stuff. You're evangelizing. You're doing the work. You're feeding the poor. You have a name that you're like, you're doing all the things that you're supposed to do, but you're doing it no longer from the place of first love. You're doing it no longer from how the, the foundation was supposed to be. I am the God in the midst of the lampstands. You know, excuse me. the church is built on the foundations of the apostles and prophets and Jesus being what? The chief cornerstone. When you're building a building, the chief cornerstone is the first cornerstone that they would lay before they even put the rest of the foundation. And so he's saying from the very beginning I was I'm the chief cornerstone but not just that I'm the chief cornerstone and I'm the god in the midst of you I'm the foundation I'm the covering I'm the door I'm the presence that fills the house I'm the brick and mortar that builds the house. I'm the God that is in the midst of that. He wants to be the all in all. And these guys that he's addressing, he's saying, you're doing all of these things and it's great, but you've left left your first love. Get back to the revelation that I want to be the God in the midst of you. And as a church, we want to make sure, God, we want to be a church where you are the God in the midst of us. And one of the things I've done and I've put into practice the last couple years, even when I've come into a space, not just our space, any church, and when I remember to do it, because I don't always remember, but when I remember, I'll come in the front door. and You've heard me say this. I'll come in the front door, the top of the steps, and I'll say, God, you're here. And I'll come down the steps and into the lobby and through the sanctuary door, and I'll say, God, you're here. And I'll come in, I'll put my stuff in my seat, and I'll pause. I'll say, God, you're here. Now, he doesn't need to be reminded that he's here. He knows he's here. I need to be reminded that he's here. And maybe not just in a, a church, not just in a, in a corporate setting, but in a, my personal life, me being a living temple, of the living God. God, uh, you are here. And I need to, t- to remind myself day by day, you're here. You're with me. And I want you to be God in the midst of me. I want you to be God in the midst of us. Meaning everything we do, Jesus needs to be at the center of it. Yeah. And there's this invitation to them to repent and return to the first works, to the first love, to the things we did at first. And, you know, as I've been wrestling through this and even measuring my life and and the the things that I put my hands to build, you know, I understand we're going to stand before the Lord one day. And he's going to look back on the things we've put our hand to. And my prayer is, God, I don't want what I'm building and what I'm doing to burn up in that day. I don't want to be found like these guys in Ephesus. Ephesians of Ephesus, the the, the people, the Ephesian people, they were a church birthed in outpouring and in revival. They were seeing the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. They were having signs and wonders. They were building fast. They were doing, they were a church of excellence They were building with excellence. They were building right. They were doing everything. I mean, look, he's telling them, you are testing the people who say that they are something and they're not. You found people who are liars, meaning they're making sure the the temple, the leadership, the standard, it's held true, that people can't just come in and deceive. They're doing the labor. They're doing the work. They're walking in patience. They are persevering. They are laboring for his name's sake. And they've not grown weary. They are not a people who give up. They're excellent. They're faithful. They're persistent. They're perseverant. And from the outside, it looks all good. But God is not looking at the outside. He's looking at your heart. And he's saying, you've done everything with excellence, but you've done it excellently without me. And they who labor without me, labor in vain. And he's saying, I'm telling you, there's a way to save this. There's a way to make all of this worth it is Come back to the first love. Come back to the place of my presence. I've called you not to be a people of building and big ministries, but I've called you to be a people of my presence. And even when we're we're considering what we're building as this church, as Life Center, we're not interested in building big ministries and big churches. We're looking to build big people around the presence of God. And as an individual in my life, maybe, you know, I give the examples like this because I'm a pastor. This is the work of my hand. What's the work of your hand? What are you building? Is God in the midst of what you're building? Is God in the midst of your relationships? Is his presence present with you in everything that you're doing in your everyday walk? Amen. And what I've learned to do, I've learned to come to the scriptures, right? And this is some more practical stuff. And I've learned to come to the scriptures and I'll start reading. And there's a reading of scripture that's for study, that's for studious uh, exploits. And those are good and and they're needed to gain knowledge, to gain understanding. But there is a study of the word of God that finds him in the word. And I've learned to begin to read the word of God. And as I'll use Revelation 1 as, as the example, I'm reading the word over myself and a lot of times I'll read it out loud. You know, early church, the the scripture was read, they read the word out loud to one another. There's something about your ear hearing, something about your ear hearing the word of God. There's something about your ear hearing the song of worship coming out of your mouth. I know some of you may not be comfortable singing, but you know what the Bible tells us to praise the Lord and only twice does it say to clap your hands, right? One, you gotta be a tree in the field to clap your hands. The other one, it says, clap your hands all you people and shout unto God over and over again when it talks about coming into the house of the Lord and what we've been talking about and what we've been learning is there is a way in which God desires to be approached and when he says to approach him in worship there's a couple things but one of them is to sing praises to shout before him this is not just a 21st century church way of doing church this is the bible way of doing church where we come in with the sound of an instrument and we all have an instrument it's our voice we come in with the sound of praise we come come into his house with thanksgiving, we come into his courts with praise. And when we begin to approach him in the way that he desires to be approached, meaning it's your job to find out what he likes and what he doesn't like, and to do what he likes and to not do what he doesn't like, it's your job to learn how he desires for us to approach him. It's why we see the Apostle Paul teaching the Corinthians, you're approaching the table of the Lord in an unworthy manner. And why is that important? Because it's not just bread and wine he is present at the table of the Lord. His presence is present. And so he's saying when you come to the Lord in a way he desires to not be approached, we see the list of things in Corinthians where it says some of you are sick, some of you have early deaths, some of you have all these different things. But if we go the other way around, if we learn to approach him in a worthy manner, if we learn the way in which he desires to be approached, how do you learn it? It's here in the Word. He reveals it in the Word. Search it out. Find how He desires to be approached. And when you do it that way, you come through the door and, and you're in the place where He is. He, he, he's not putting these restrictions on us or these, these barriers are on, on us or the, the walls around us to you know cause things to be more difficult. He's creating boundaries so that we can find ourselves on the narrow path that will lead to him. The whole point of his shepherding us is to bring us to him. When the apostle Paul was mentoring and discipling Timothy, he showed us a model of how to lead people. And Paul, amazing man, he could have easily led Timothy in the way that Paul was going but Paul didn't do that. Paul became aware of the prophetic words and the promises that were spoken over Timothy's life, not Paul's life. He became, Paul became aware of what the Lord said over Timothy, and then he required of Timothy, not what he thought Timothy should do, but that which God said Timothy should do. In other words, he was saying, Timothy, I'm not leading you according to the way I think you should go. I'm leading you according to the way that God thinks that you should go. And Paul was challenging Timothy to actually live his life according to the word of the Lord and to the presence of the Lord in his life. And it's saying, live your life in such a way that you don't have to prove yourself to anyone, but the way you live your life in the presence of God and in the word of God will become self-evident to the people around you, that they will actually bring respect and favor to you, not because you tell them to, but because the way you carry yourself. And as a people of the presence of God, and as a people who are called to host the presence of God, we're going to be like Moses. We're going to go into promised land. We're going to, We're going to conquer territory. We're going to get to do the destiny and the things God has called us to do. But Moses, while still in the wilderness and tempted with the promise, God says, okay, you can now go into the land of milk and honey. Go for it. I'm going to send my angels with you. And though it sounded good, Moses was like, no, I'm not going, not even with your angels. I don't want to go into the promise make it New Yorkers for us. I don't want to go into the penthouse. I don't want the Tesla. I don't want the new job. I don't want the the new reward. I don't want the spouse and the family and all these different things. If it means I'm going to step into that which you've promised me without you because the thing that difference, differentiates me from the rest of the world is not that I have this stuff. It's I have you. And unless your presence goes with me, I'm not going to go up from this place. And he was willing to lay it all down and say, I will stay the rest of my life in the wilderness. And he did. And he did. Because I want your presence. And your presence means more to me than the fulfillment of every promise and the answer to every prayer and there is a redefining of success and the win of this life away from the accolades and away from what we can show from this life in the forms of physical objects and there is a revealing of the heart where God is saying what can you show me at the end of your life when you stand before me is the work of your hands was it the work of love did you build the kingdom or did you build your house He comes into the temple. Jesus comes into the temple and he turns over the tables of the money changers. Why? Because he's declaring to them, my house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations. And the most important part of that is the my house part. They came into a house and they did the things that they thought that they should do. You know, I'm being really intense. Let me give you a lighthearted story. (laughs) I got three kids, right? And one of the things, your parents may have said this to you, but my son, he says, uh, we have a, a version of it. My son goes to me, and he'll tell Jenny. Sometimes I'll walk in, and I'm, I literally have heard him tell Jenny this as I'm walking in the house. He says, he'll tell me, you know, Dad, you work for me. You know? And, and he says, like, Dad, you work for me. And he's three. He's, it's cute now. Um, <laughs> but I'll look to him, and, I'll look to him and, it, and it comes from, because I've told him over and over again, you know, he wants water. And I'm like, okay, it's right there. Get up, go get water. Oh, well, can I? go i want that toy okay get off your seat and go get the toy and i'll say this phrase i'm like lorenzo i don't work for you so that's where he's learned it but my parents used to say it a different way they used to say you know hey this is not your house and i'd be like what do you mean i live here He's like, no this is not your house my dad'd be like well do you pay the bills yeah Yeah. he goes you don't even turn the lights off when you leave a room like never mind paying the bills (laughs) Like, this is not your house. This is my house. And they would say, you know, the phrase, my house, my rules, right? And if you want to live here, you got to abide under my rules, right? So is this this is my house. But as a son, as a daughter, you feel so comfortable to challenge your mom and dad. You're like, no, this is my house too, yeah. you know? Sometimes we approach the house of the Lord that way. Wow. Sometimes we come into his house as, as sons and daughters, right? And we're like, you know what? If we... Maybe we, worship should be a little bit shorter. If the worship was shorter and the message was shorter and we just did it a little bit this way, then more people might come and, and we, 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 and there's, listen, there's some wisdom in some of those things. There's some wisdom in creating structure. There's wisdom in creating uh, order and to do things a certain way. There's wisdom from God, but sometimes we come in and we're just making the changes because we think it's good. And I feel like there's a fear of the Lord reminder where God's coming to us like, Hey, this is not your house. This is my house. This is my house, my rules, my way. And what that does is it saves you from getting caught up in the culture like a deconstruction where we're deconstructing and changing the way according to the culture instead of according to his culture. I have no problem with you deconstructing your faith as long as you're using the word of God to deconstruct and reconstruct. But when you're using the the culture of the day to construct your theology and your belief, you end up building something that is not around the presence of the Lord. And you become more sensitive to the seeker than sensitive to the Savior. And we want to build a house that is sensitive to him and to his presence. As a corporate body, and the worship team, you can come up. As a corporate body uh, and as a leadership, as a worship team, as pastors, we want to encounter the Lord. We want to go to him. But there also is this thing inside of us, and I think it was President George Bush had the the, uh, No Child Left Behind Act, right? You know, for me, it's like, I don't want to leave anyone behind. I want us all corporately to go to the place of his presence. I want us all corporately to go to the word of God and find him in the word. You know, I want to see every person here become hosts and people of the presence of God. That that learn how to find him in the word. That know how to find him in the worship. That know how to find him in the word of God, in the preaching of the word. And I'm going to say this and and hear my heart. Uh, You know, because... As leaders, we're challenged by the culture of this world to measure what we do by the metrics of this world and to measure success by what this world calls calls success. But one of the things I've learned that the prize of this life is him. The reward of this life is him. Corley's talking about Abraham today. Uh, Abraham, even in the face of all the promises—the stars in the sky, the sand in the sea—so shall your descendants be. But remember, Abraham, I am your reward, and I am—I am your prize, your exceeding great reward. So that—that that understanding is, if I kill Isaac, I'm going to count—I'm uh, going to eliminate and disqualify myself from actually getting the stars and the sand. But I'm going to lay it down because even if I don't get the stars and the sand, I get you. And Abraham understood, even if I lay down Isaac, I get him, that's okay, because that's my prize, that's my reward. I don't need the stars, I don't need the sand. Though you promise me that, I'll lay it down. And when he is in a position to lay down the promise, that's when God knows he can trust the heart and says, okay, this is a man who's not interested in owning the stars and the sand, he just wants me as the prize, so now I can give him the stars and the sand. When you become a people of the presence, he will add everything you need to you. But when your pursuit stops becoming the thing or the promise, but the one who promises, then you'll enter into promise. Some of you need healing, but all you know to do is seek out the healing. You have to remember, first seek the healer. Some of you need breakthrough, and you're seeking to make the change in life, but first seek the God of the breakthrough. We... Our, our church that has no problem with the hand of the Lord stretching out, but don't forsake his face for his hand. Yeah. Remember to seek his face and know when you seek his face, he will be faithful to stretch out his hand. But it's face first. It's one thing first. It's first love first. He's saying, remember the things you did at first. Do you guys remember when we first came into the church, we first got saved, and all you do was hear the name Jesus and you'd be brought to tears? You couldn't help yourself but get to the meeting, but now, now it's like I'm tired today. I don't know if I can come. Like, no, there is something of the nature of a child that just wants to be around their family that wants to be around mom and dad. You just, you want them to hold you. You want them to nurture you. But as you get older and you get independent, sometimes you get so bold that you don't think you need the holding embrace of your father. And you're so okay with not spending time in the presence because you've forgotten the things at first. We need to lay back down again the foundations. We need to make sure... Is Jesus the chief cornerstone of my life? Is he the chief cornerstone of what I'm building? Is he the chief cornerstone of my company, of my business, of my school, of my family? Is he the foundation of the church that I'm building, the church that I'm attending? Is he the foundation? And don't just stop there. Is he the walls? Is he the door? Is he the window? Is he the air that fills the very building? Is he the substance that you're building your life with? He's your covering. Is he the roof over your house? Is he the boundary? He's the boundary lines. Is he the fence around your property? Guys, everything in this life is in him, by him, through him, for him. And when you live that way, nothing else matters but him. His presence. You guys can start playing. There's a, which I'm not going to get to it. There's, there's maybe next time I speak, I'll, I'll, I'll do a part two of this, but there's ways, there's ways in which I feel like practically we can step into doing what we do. And how to do this? How to walk it out? I gave you a few today. I'd love to, and I will. I think I speak in a couple weeks, and then we'll we'll lay out some more practicals of how to step into this. But number one for today, it's Psalm twenty-seven, four. One thing have I desired, the Lord; that will I seek: to dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire of His temple. Mary and Martha, Mary. It says of Mary that she sat at the feet of Jesus and Jesus said, wherever the gospel is shared, her story, what she has done will be shared along with the gospel. And when we were at the conference. Michael Juliano said this and it, was, it just hit me. He said, you know, remember, Martha got him in the door, but Mary kept him there. Yeah. And as a leader, I am consumed with this sobering reality. God, I'm not looking for the crowds. I'm looking for you. Yeah, Lord, I want a visitation, but Lord, I want a habitation of your presence. In Exodus, he tells the people, He says, Build for me a habitation that I may come and dwell. There's an aspect of the presence of the Lord. Biblically, we know He's always here. I know that. But when He's speaking to the Israelites, He's telling them, Build for me a habitation, it's not negating the fact that he's omnipresent in that moment it's revealing that there is a coming within his coming that though he may be here there is still a coming where we can say god you're here but come but fill if you guys could stand with me i'm gonna i'm gonna pray a prayer i know we're a little over time so as, as I finish this prayer, if you need to go, we'll bless you to go. Um, but as, I, as I've been thinking through this and meditating on this the past few weeks, just looking at my heart, my life, I've been saying, Lord, wherever there is other desire outside of you, kill that in me let that thing die let that part of my heart die any bridge in my heart towards the rewards of man let that die i want you to be the sole pursuit of my life and like the church of ephesus I said god i want to do the things i did at first want to do the work of love bring me back to that place of first love bring me back to that place i want to lay afresh the foundation is you christ it's you jesus so father i pray for every person in this room we feel your presence here today as we're talking about you talking about your ways. We sense your nearness, Jesus. From front to back, left to right, all across this room. Would you look upon these ones? And would you let the cascading grace of your presence come over them? Lord, we're asking today to reorder our life. Would you bring us back to the place, first love? We're asking today for the fires of the love of God to burn away everything that keeps us and hinders us from getting to you. We want to find the place where you feed your flock. We want to be in the place of your outpouring. We want to be in the place that is called your house. Your house, Lord. We want to be in the place of your presence. Would you release a grace over this house to be a people of the presence of God? We want to build a house for you. Jesus' name. We hope you enjoyed the message. You can also follow us on Instagram at LifeCenterNYC or YouTube at LifeCenterChurchNYC.